was the week before Christmas and all through the house, everything was under investigation. <laughs> Doesn't rhyme. But it's true. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle with you. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. Also in Red Bluff and Redding, California on KFOI, Round Mountain, KKRN, and in Eureka on KGOE. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ and Cottage Grove on Queso in Eugene on KEPW. Lancaster, Pennsylvania's WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, Columbus, Ohio's WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. In Grand Rapids, Michigan on WPRR, in New Orleans on WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN. Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, Seattle's KODX, Goldendale, Washington's KBGD, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950, KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day for you, for your listening convenience. On the Internet, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio, Detour Talk, and many other fine affiliates, both internet-based and terrestrial, blanketing planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thanks for joining us today. The meltdown of the presidency of Donald Trump, perhaps... Better known in some law enforcement circles these days simply as Individual One. That meltdown continues today in Washington, D.C., and we will talk with the great Heather Digby Parton about where it all goes from here in the uh, in, in, in light of Trump's former attorney, Michael Cohen, his sentencing last week after disclosing that Trump directed an unlawful campaign finance conspiracy to make and hide hush money payoffs to two women with whom he had affairs, uh, and after the astonishing drama that played out in a federal court on Tuesday as Trump's former national security advisor Michael Flynn thought he would be sentenced to no jail time after pleading guilty to lying to the FBI and secretly serving as a paid agent of the Turkish government while serving in the White House. Boy, did he turn out to be wrong as did all the wingnuts who thought that uh, his sentencing hearing would dramatically turn out to reveal Robert Mueller's special counsel probe as a great big witch hunt hoax. As Trump has been uh, telling them, well, it turned out to be dramatic, but not in the way that uh, Trump and friends were hoping it might. But first, some quick news of note here today. Uh, last June, was this last, this was last June, Desi Doyen, um, when the, gen, the attorney, then Attorney General Jeff Sessions announced 
the U.S. would no longer allow asylum claims based on domestic abuse and gang violence. Remember that? Oh, yes. That was only June of this actual year. Wow, that seems like that was forever ago. It seems like it was years ago. We spoke on the show at the time with Karen Musalo, uh, professor of law and director of the Center for uh, Gender and Refugee Studies. Uh, she has worked as a litigator for years on a number of landmark cases that led to changes in the nation's immigration and asylum policies and laws. At the time we spoke to her back in June, she was uh, representing the El Salvadoran woman at the center of the years-long asylum case that had been overturned by Jeff Sessions with his announcement, uh, even though her asylum had been approved by the courts based on the threats of violence that she was facing back in her home country. The credible threats. She had yep. evidence. She had documentation. Oh, yeah. And yet Sessions overturned it. Uh, she told me at the time that what Sessions was doing was simply unlawful, that he did not have the authority to simply change this policy in defiance of the courts and the laws and years of case precedent, etc. Well, it looks like she was right. A federal judge on Wednesday blocked Trump administration policies that prevented immigrants who suffered gang violence or domestic abuse in their home countries from seeking asylum. U.S. District Court Judge Emmett Sullivan. Hey, that name sounds familiar today. We will talk about that Ronald Reagan appointee with my uh, guest uh, Digby here in a moment. He made a lot of news yesterday in the Michael Flynn case. He's making news today. Judge Sullivan declared that some of the guidance that then Attorney General Sessions issued cannot be used to determine whether an immigrant has a credible fear of persecution or torture in their home countries. That is the first step to making an asylum claim in the U.S. The judge said the administration's policy on asylum seekers violates federal immigration law and that, quote, it is the will of Congress, not the whims of the executive, unquote, that sets the standards for expedited removal from this country. This was uh, yet another uh, legal blow for Donald Trump and his efforts to harden immigration policies without Congress actually changing the laws. Responding to Sullivan's ruling, a, DOJ, a, a Department of Justice spokesperson uh, said that Sessions's guidance had followed the requirements for asylum under U.S. law. He said, we are reviewing our options with regard to this ruling and we will continue to restore the rule of law in our immigration system by, I guess, violating the rule of law in our immigration system, apparently. Hey, that's Trump logic. You say it like it's a bad thing. Interesting tactic. Uh-huh. Uh, the uh, ACLU had sued the government over the June 11 change on behalf of 12 parents and children who were wrongly found not to have a credible fear of return to their home countries. Uh, Sullivan's ruling impacts thousands of cases where immigrants are in expedited removal proceedings from the country. Among the plaintiffs uh, was a woman, uh, for example, identified only by a pseudonym, Grace. The ACLU said that Grace's partner had beat her and her children and sexually assaulted her and her daughter. Once, the ACLU says, her daughter suffered a miscarriage after he attacked her. The lawsuit says police did not act when she contacted them. 
and the lawsuit says that Grace was found not to have a credible fear of persecution when, in fact, clearly she was, and she was deported uh, back to this country where this was happening. Well, the judge ordered the um, government to return any of the plaintiffs who may have been deported back to the U.S. and to prevent further such deportations. That is at least some good news today. Uh, Things are not going well overall for this presidency, either in policy or in politics, not to mention Donald Trump's many legal woes, which continue to grow and which we'll discuss with Digby shortly here. Uh, With a bunch of signs over the past week that Trump and his, his administration seem to be on the verge of some form of collapse, really, uh, it should be noted that uh, they are, to no small extent, uh, extent uh, taking much of the Republican Party down with them. Of course, as you know, Democrats picked up about, uh, well, at least 40 seats in the U.S. House in the November midterms to take a majority there beginning in January. But Republicans in states around the country also took a sizable hit in November as well. For example, Kansas Previously seen as a deep red state, they elected Democrat Laura Kelly to be their next governor, rejecting the two term secretary of state and Trump pal and disregarded. uh, I'm sorry, disgraced GOP voter fraud fraudster Chris Kobach. They rejected him for the governor's mansion. And now the Republican Party in the state of Kansas, in the state legislature, seeing a whole bunch of defections. Since the election, even before the new session begins there. When the Kansas state government reconvenes in January, three of its formerly three of its formerly Republican members will now report as freshly minted Democrats. Says Kate Riga at uh, TPM, the two state senators and one state representative, all women citing uh, varying sources for their discontent with the GOP. State Senator Barbara Bollier started the trend last week. She attributed her change of heart to her disgust with President Donald Trump and the state's GOP, the state GOP's decision that it would oppose all efforts to validate transgender identity in Kansas. Referring to the Trump presidency, she said, I can't call it leadership. I don't even know what to call it. He is our president, but he is not representing my value system remotely. She added the party is hell bent on removing moderates from its ranks. Talking about the Republicans there. Her fellow state senator, Dinah Sykes, now followed her lead today, also citing complaints with being a moderate, trying to operate in an in an increasingly partisan Republican Party. She wrote in a Facebook post, quote, Increasingly, I see the Republican Party focusing on issues and approaches that divide our country. I do not agree with that approach, she said. In the other chamber in Kansas, Sykes's... Uh, Neighbor, State Rep. Stephanie Clayton, also jumped on the bandwagon to flip from a Republican to the Democratic Party. She said, I've been a proud Republican my entire life. However, the recent moves to support chaos in public policy have caused me great concern. 
what chaos? What could she possibly be referring to? <laughs> well, hey, to? now, come on. Now, good for them. It took them long enough, but good for them. Better late than never, and maybe it'll make a difference in the Kansas legislature? Well, it won't change the majority control, but uh, yeah, I mean, I think that, I mean, in one way, it uh, obviously changes the balance of uh, of the state legislatures, but it also makes, it also serves, just like the November election, it serves to make the existing Republicans even more hardcore in their, uh, you know, they're not going to try to win over the, the, the moderate side of their party anymore. They can go full bore to the right. So we may see that in both D.C. and in Kansas and in a bunch of states around the country where uh, Republicans took a hit and now where Republicans are actually flipping to the Democratic Party. In Kansas, the uh, Democratic House minority leader there uh, says that in addition to those three lawmakers who defected, Democratic leadership is eyeing, quote, three or four more lawmakers who might be compelled to flip in the uh, in the state house there. He says, we're not done. Hmm. Uh, He added that the three women uh, all live in districts, the ones who did flip, I think, uh, that they all live in districts that are themselves getting progressively Democratic. He said their districts moved away from Republicans, period. Uh, Adding that in 2018, Democrats claimed significant wins against very strong, entrenched, popular, moderate Republicans. And that spooked the centrist Republicans who were left in uh, maybe flipping over to uh, the Democrats. The uh, leader, uh, Jim Ward, the Democratic leader there, uh, pointed out the three defections as significant wins. He said, quote, this is just like Christmas. Even if we get no more, this is a fabulous post-election recruitment. Our message is good and the people of Kansas are more receptive to what we're talking about than the Trump Republicans in charge of the party right now. Hmm. As to those uh, Trump Republicans, the ones left in Washington, D.C., well, their fortunes now seem to be tied to a presidency that feels like it is in freefall. At least to me, uh, at least on the verge of it. Uh, Let's take a quick break here and we'll come back to discuss just how bad this is or isn't getting for Donald Trump and the Republicans as the new year approaches. And with it, a new session of Congress with a Democratic majority and more investigations and prosecutions beginning and coming to a head. Oh, and uh, we'll also talk about what, if anything, Democrats in Congress will or should have the courage to do about any of it. All of that is straight ahead on the broadcast with the always awesome Heather Digby Parton. That's next. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. Please drop by bradblog.com/donate. That's bradblog.com/donate. And thanks. Sure seem to right now. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. 
Well, uh, Tuesday, it seems to me, was a landmark day in the rise and fall of Donald Trump and his presidency, specifically the fall part of that equation. Uh, As I noted, it felt to me for the first time, really, that things are now officially, finally, at long last, beginning at least, to actually fall apart. The whole thing in several different ways. Among the stories that seem to uh, come in all at once on Tuesday to underscore this, the New York State Attorney General's case against the fraudulent Trump charity known as the Trump Foundation resulted in the permanent shutdown and dissolution of that nonprofit scam that Trump and his children apparently long had used for various unlawful forms of self-dealing, including using it illegally to settle legal debts and in coordination with his presidential campaign. Happily, while the foundation will be shuttered, the investigation and prosecution into its misuse will continue, according to the New York State Attorney General. And Trump and his children, Don Jr., Eric, and yes, Ivanka, could all face serious repercussions that cannot be dismissed with a presidential pardon, since the prosecution of that case is happening at the state level. Meanwhile, in D.C., Trump's threats uh, last week to shut down the federal government before the end of the year if Congress did not agree to give him $5 billion for his border wall with Mexico. Uh, That threat was also revealed to have been, like most of Trump's threats, completely hollow. It appears, though you never know with Trump, that he is going to fold on that threat yet again and that Congress will strike some sort of deal, even a short-term one, to keep the government open During the holidays, before Trump will find himself with a democratically controlled House of Representatives next year. Good luck with that, Mr. President. But the most remarkable, almost metaphoric sign of a uh, presidency off the rails and heading toward collapse, including its strategy of clinging to uh, alternate realities, no matter how clear cut the evidence is becoming for actual reality, Uh, That was played out in a D.C. courtroom on Tuesday where Trump's former national security security advisor, Michael Flynn's sentencing hearing went absolutely sideways. It was supposed to have been an easy day for Flynn after his guilty plea a year ago for having lied to the FBI about his contacts with Russia and for failing to disclose his work as a foreign agent for Turkey. His subsequent cooperation with special counsel Robert Mueller's Trump-Russia investigation resulted in uh, Mueller's team requesting zero days in jail for Flynn. According to the special counsel's sentencing memorandum, he had been totally cooperative with a number of investigations and therefore deserved no jail time at all in exchange. Flynn was going to get off, essentially, scot-free. Some in the right-wing fever swamps, however, had a theory, as Heather Digby Parton has been reporting at Salon this week, that not only would Flynn face no jail time, but U.S. District Court Judge Emmett Sullivan, a Ronald Reagan appointee with a history of being skeptical of government overreach, might even throw the whole case out entirely. Now that Flynn's attorneys in their own sentencing memorandum last week accused the FBI investigators who interviewed Flynn at the White House just after Trump's inauguration in 2017 of having somehow tricked the National Security Advisor, retired Army Lieutenant General and former head of the Defense Intelligence Agency 
tricked him into lying to them by not telling him in advance that lying to the FBI was a crime. Now, there were high hopes from the MAGA wingnuts over the past week, Parton reports, for the fate of Michael Flynn and the entire so-called Robert Mueller witch hunt that it would come crashing down in a spectacular fashion thanks to the expected outrage of Judge Sullivan. Here's how uh, here's how one of uh, Trump's favorite Fox News personalities. This is Judge Janine Pirro. Here's how she previewed the downfall of the government's entire case on her show on Sunday. On Tuesdays, the parties will appear again before Judge Emmett Sullivan, a jurist unafraid of the swamp, a judge who has a track record of calling out prosecutorial misconduct, a man who does not tolerate injustice or abuse of power. Judge Sullivan can throw out this guilty plea if he concludes the FBI intentionally interfered with their target Flynn's constitutional right to counsel. The story of Michael Flynn continues on Tuesday. (laughs) Well, it certainly did. And uh, none of what the wingnuts, be they Trump fans or Flynn's lawyers or Trump himself, uh, none of the wingnuts, none of what they had hoped would happen actually happened. In fact, the complete opposite happened. Judge Sullivan upbraided Flynn during the hearing, demanded to know if he wished to withdraw his guilty plea, given his claims about his treatment at the hands of the FBI, which, by the way, uh, was pretty much disproven by the release of the actual interview memorandum. Uh, Before the judge then went on to blister Flynn regarding his lies to the FBI investigators and his undisclosed lobbying agreement with the country of Turkey, the judge said he was disgusted by Flynn's behavior and could not hide his disdain for his crimes. All along, Judge Sullivan railed in open court, you were an unregistered agent of a foreign country while serving as the national security advisor to the president of the United States. That undermines everything this flag stands for. Arguably, you sold your country out, the judge said. In the end, Flynn asked for more time to demonstrate his willingness to cooperate with the government in the special counsel probe rather than accept sentencing on Tuesday, which, despite Mueller's request for zero jail time for Flynn, would almost certainly have included a sentence of jail time for Flynn from the judge. Everything went sideways when the reality of a courtroom and the rule of law actually arrived, not on Fox News, but here in reality, in what it seems to me is a pretty fair analogy, or at least maybe a preview for this entire Trump administration, which, as I say, seems to be coming apart by the minute at this point. Joining me now to tell me I am totally wrong about all of this and that I'm leaning way too forward on my skis is the great Heather Digby Parton, uh, better known throughout the internets as simply Digby. She runs the uh, long-running Hullabaloo blog. She's a regular contributor, of course, at Salon.com and the winner of the Hillman Prize for Opinion and Analysis Journalism. Heather Digby Parton, 
Barton. Welcome back to the broadcast. Oh, thanks for having me. Happy holidays. And to you. Wanted to uh, get you on before we all uh, scrammed and went in separate directions for the holidays and uh, ran for cover. Uh, <laughs> keep me, listen, uh, keep me from getting too far ahead of myself, Heather, but it seems like cumulatively this guy, Donald Trump, we'll, we'll get to Flynn in a second, it seems like he is in really, really big trouble now on virtually every front in a way that he really has not been until now, it seems to me. Am I uh, wrong? Stop me leaning too far forward here, Heather. <laughs> well, I wouldn't say that you are. I mean, I don't think he would say that you are. I mean, if you look at, at everything just in the last couple of weeks that's come to light, uh, there's been, you know, more, of the, we'll just, you know, I'll just do a mm-hmm. do a list. <laughs> Um, you know, there's been more uh, information come forward with this big expose uh, about Russian interference in 2016, which mm-hmm. shows very clearly that they were there helping Donald Trump and that it was explicitly helping Donald Trump. Uh, that's one thing, more evidence in that regard, which we've seen coming out all along since 2016, but that's just one more, uh, one more factor. Mm-hmm. Uh, then there is the, uh, the newly revealed... Um, uh, you know, investigation into the to the Trump um, inauguration committee, right? And all the <laughs> nobody knows where that money went, and it looks like even Ivanka. I mean, the family's all caught up in most of this stuff. Ivanka was uh, was you know kind of padding the the bills for the inauguration mm-hmm. committee as they were coming into the Trump hotel. Uh, you've got this uh, finding just yesterday about the Trump Foundation, and it's closing down mainly because of a you know a pattern in practice of illegality. I mean that was right there in the announcement. Mm-hmm. Um, and we know this; we knew this all along. And and you know my favorite part was the the my favorite little detail of that was the one where Corey Lewandowski was in Iowa, you know, spreading foundation money around on the d- days before the before the primary like that was normal <laughs> on behalf of the campaign from a. Um, Charitable foundation yeah. giving out money that, by yeah. the way, was for for veterans. For veterans I mean, they were using but... veterans for this. <laughs> yeah, it's. I mean, if you do you, your list there, uh, you know, the Trump Foundation. One of the nice things about that is that that is uh, in state court. Um, So he can't pardon his way out of that. But, yeah, beyond that, I mean, the Trump campaign, the Trump transition, the Trump inauguration, the Trump administration, the Trump organization, Trump and his family themselves, they're all facing various forms of criminal investigation at this point. I see no way out, frankly, for (laughs) Trump uh, on either a personal or presidential level at this point. Not even his pardon power seems like it gets him out of all of this. Am I wrong? No, I mean I don't. You know, look, the pardon power is not going to help him with the, with the state charges. Oh, and by the way, yeah. you know, there was an announcement by the new New York Attorney General uh, last week, mm-hmm. um, just James, who says, you know, yeah, we're looking at everything <laughs> to yeah. do with the Trump organization. We are not going to let this go. We are going there. I mean, she was really very, very um, clear that yep. they were going to be pushing and investigating this. That stuff is is not safe. Um, with the Trump pardon power at all, and uh, you know, even Andrew Cuomo, I don't think is going to pardon pardon the Trumps. I mean, I wouldn't put it past him, but I think at this point he he sees the writing on the wall there. <laughs> and so you know, I mean, this is not this is he is under tremendous pressure coming from every direction. And let's not forget the the, the truly the biggie. And this is even aside from Mueller, which I think is 
undoubtedly the most important as far as the national interest is concerned. It's not good to have a criminal and a con man in the White House uh, at all, and, and he should be punished and investigated for all of this misbehavior uh, on a personal and business level. But this, this Russia investigation is a national security issue. It's a counterintelligence investigation. And the fact that Trump is still, I mean, that this stuff, and, you know, all you said about Flynn, and we can talk more about that in mm-hmm. detail, but all of that stuff really leads to some very, very uh, disturbing sort of conclusions that are starting to become clear here well, about what happened. There. And, and let me ask you about some of those conclusions, because I also, you know, I'll, with with all of that, that litany of things that we both just went through, um, I, I want to ask you a little bit later about uh, how the Democrats are responding to right. this, because they still don't, it doesn't seem to me to, uh, that they're still not stepping up uh, to the moment that it feels like we actually are now at in this country. But let me uh, drill down here a little bit on this Flynn case, because it gets to some of the Mueller stuff. But Judge uh, Emmett Sullivan, he accused Flynn of selling out the country. He used very strong language, saying he was disgusted, couldn't hide his disdain. Uh, He also used the word treason several times when asking about, uh, well, when asking Mueller's prosecutors about uh, Flynn's crimes. Now, this guy is a longtime federal judge. He's a Reagan appointee initially. Judges are usually much more careful than that. What do you make of his reference to treason in the courtroom on Tuesday during uh, Flynn's sentencing? Well, I think that was pro- that was intemperate on his part, and you know I think that that was probably a mistake for him to have said it. However, if you look, Marcy Wheeler over at Empty Wheel, who mm-hmm. is you know the best close reader that I know of yeah. anywhere, um, and she is where I got most of my information about Emmett Sullivan, which I wrote about in my in my pieces for Salon this week. Mm-hmm. Um, her conclusion on that is is that what had happened was that Sullivan has seen all of this information. He's mm-hmm. seen the redacted documents. He's seen also this ex parte uh, documents that were given to him under seal, and that basically he kind of got worked up. And what she finds interesting is the way that the prosecution reacted to it, which was kind of doing a little stutter step, and I was very surprised to hear that. Uh, and when I read the transcript, I went, "Hmm, this is interesting." You know, it seems like a, a like a, you know, a gimme, right? To say, "Well, no, no, this isn't treasonous activity," and mm-hmm. you know, we never did that. That's not what the prosecutor did. He kind of, st- st- you know, stutter stepped around it, and then they went out for a recess. Then he came back. Sullivan walked back his comments and said that, you know, I shouldn't have said that. And the prosecution was a little bit more clear that no, we haven't taken that into consideration in this sure. time. All of that, I don't know what it means, but, you know, according to to Marcy Wheeler, you know, she thinks that there is something in those documents which is so shocking that, you know, for a moment, everybody, including the people who know what's in those documents, in other words, mm-hmm. were kind of taken aback by the blatant sort of, you know, you know blurting out of what those documents could potentially in some way lead to Well, and that's what I was sort of getting at, because uh, I've heard a lot of people describe it as intemperate, and I guess that means he shouldn't have used that kind of uh, that kind of language, at least not yet, but was it, you know, because it was intemperate, or was it because he knows stuff that we don't, because of all the redacted stuff in there? And I guess there's really no way of knowing at this point other than 
uh, well, the, the way that uh, Mueller's prosecutors responded, they didn't say, no, 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 this is not uh, treason. They had to go figure it out. It yeah, he like. said, I have to look at the statute. You know, it's kind of like, hey, you know, we all know what treason means. But, you know, I think, I think that, that, look, there's, there's something about this case. Look, the fact, and, and uh, so much of this is just still shrouded in mystery. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that Mueller gave, gave uh, Flynn this incredible sweetheart deal, and it really is. I mean, there's no yeah. doubt that just this week, in another case that, you know, sort of indirectly implicates the president or Trump's presidency, in any case, uh, was this deal with the uh, with the Turkish lobbyists? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they were they were indicted this week. Associates of Michael Flynn clearly as- indicted because of testimony. From business Michael business Flynn. partners, people who business worked partners. at Flynn's own uh, at lobbying Flynn's organization. Lobbying yeah. organization, yeah. and he was you know implicated as well as a conspirator mm-hmm. in this. And uh, this was going on all through the campaign, and Flynn, while he didn't take money from them after the election, he was surely working towards this same goal as the national security advisor. And in fact, even today, you know, Trump, the Trump administration is saying, well, we're taking a look at it in terms of this, this exiled Turkish cleric who is a, an American um, resident who mm-hmm. has been here for 20 years, and the, the, the scheme, part of it, was to kidnap this guy and render him back to Turkey. Right. And that was one of Flynn's, Flynn's schemes. And, uh, you know, the Trump administration is talking about, well, maybe we could send him back. We're looking at all the documents. So that, that scheme is still in play to some extent. Th- that scheme is yeah. still in play and is... Uh, it would seem to me, in any other uh, reality, a huge scheme, and yet it's all sort of a side note to everything else that's know, going on in this story. I know, and there's more that we don't know about yep. that is happening. The Middle East, there's a lot of things tying in with Saudi Arabia, with these people, you know, there's all these peripheral players that we've only heard about that have been cooperating, people like Felix Sater and mm-hmm. George Nader, and they were all involved. They met with Don Jr., they met Eric Prince in the meeting in the Seychelles. I mean, this is a really, really, really complicated case. And it's very hard to know exactly how or whether every strand ties together. I think if people are expecting that this is going to be some grand conspiracy where you can just lay it all out like, you know, they all got together in a room back in 2015 and planned this whole thing out, that is, doesn't seem to be what, what this is about. It, it doesn't... It seem, I'm sorry. No, no, well, I was going to say, it, it doesn't, and yet, and listen, I've been, you know, skeptical about some broad conspiracy between Russia and the Trump campaign. They call it collusion. Uh, you know, everybody in this administration, nonetheless, uh, or re- even related to Trump in some way, has continuously lied about Russia, including Michael Flynn, uh, who who did not need to lie about Russia. He could have said, yes, I spoke with the Russian ambassador, right. but he lied. Uh, it seems like uh, there is still some huge piece of this. I don't know if it ties everything together, but some huge piece of this that nobody other than uh, Mueller sees um, and maybe Emmett Sullivan. Um, maybe Emmett Sullivan. Yeah. Because, because I mean, one of the one of the the things that seems very clear here is that Trump, you know, that there is some kind of signaling going back and forth between Trump, the Flynn team. I mean, he's a you know a ranking member of the right wing fever swamp. So mm-hmm. you know, he's he's very much tuned in to whatever is going on. Fox News, you know, the Manafort trial. 
I mean, there's all this, you know, sort of sort of signaling going on among those people, and we don't even know whether or not Trump's little mole at the Department of Justice, uh, the acting AG uh, Matt Whitaker, mm-hmm. maybe, you know, he may have been read in on the case and maybe sharing things with with Trump, and they're, you know, and so Trump is being very kind to Flynn, as in contrast to Michael Cohen, his former lawyer. Um, he calls Cohen a rat, and Flynn's a good man, and he wishes him good luck. And mm-hmm. He somehow thought in some way that Flynn was going to say something. I mean, he sort of indicated in his in his tweet yesterday, you know, it'll be interesting to see what he has to say, as if he was going to come out afterwards, or maybe in court itself, come out and say, you know, I was railroaded, and Donald Trump is, a great, you know, is yep. making America great again or something. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But, or don't, better yet, Donald Trump did nothing wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, that didn't happen because Flynn still, <laughs> still got his, you know, he's he's on the, on the line uh, still. But nonetheless, there seems to be something going on there. There's information that we don't know about that's still kind of churning around. And when I say that it may not be a grand conspiracy, I'm not sure that that's not true about Russia. I think there may be a, you know, there may be more to this than than meets the eye. I mean, you've got this Trump Tower meeting. You've got the Trump Moscow stuff. There's all these things, and there were Russians, Russians everywhere in that campaign. I mean, every single person seems to have been hanging out with Russians for some reason. Oh, there so there's were. something going on. There, there. were, and 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 in theory, you know, there is nothing illegal about that as long as they didn't put in, you know, give them campaign money or whatever. But the 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 lies are confounding uh, yeah. regarding uh, Russia. Um, why did, uh, as long as you brought it up here, and I wanted to get into this uh, Michael Cohen story anyway, um, so Trump wishes Michael Flynn good luck before his planned sentencing on Tuesday, which obviously went terribly awry, uh, yet he calls his former lawyer and fixer Michael Cohen a rat. They both pleaded guilty to felonies with Mueller. They both cooperated with federal investigators and, in theory, told Mueller everything they know, but Cohn's a rat, and Flynn, uh, on the other hand, he got a, a raw raw deal. He deserves to be, uh, you know, wished good luck. And, um, frankly, Michael Cohn reportedly was less forthcoming with federal prosecutors than, uh, than, than Michael Flynn was. So, I mean, do we just... Are you chalking it up to, uh, well, Michael Flynn is still a, uh, you know, a, a devoted member to the uh, right wingnut club, whereas Michael Cohn is not? Is that the difference between the two? I, I, well, that's true. And I think that probably does help Flynn, at least with the, uh, you know, with the right wing media. I think that they are more inclined to still want to see him. I mean, he, he led the locker up chance at the RNC. I mean, that's always going to be something they just love about the guy, right? <laughs> right. Um, so, you know, I think that's part of it. But I think on Trump's, in Trump's case, I think it may be something different. And I, you know, this is pure speculation, so take it for what it is. But, um, you know, Cohen, he knows that Cohen, I mean, he, Cohen accused the president in open court of uh, violating campaign finance and basically accused him of committing a felony. So Trump knows, and Trump also knows that Cohen knows other things, and he is very concerned about that. But Flynn, I don't know that they're exactly sure whether or if Flynn had something to uh, on the president himself. And in fact, Sarah Sanders said at her brief little press briefing yesterday, uh, when asked about this, she said the reason that he um, has been, you know, kind to Flynn is because Flynn 
has not had, uh, you know, that because Flynn's testimony had nothing to do with Trump, whereas Cohen's did. I mean, that's mm. still a disgusting and stupid thing to say for the press secretary, for the White House press secretary. You know, well, yes. he didn't implicate the president, so he's okay by me. I mean, that's kind of, you know, he did sell out the country, but other than that, you know, that's fine. Yeah. But I think that maybe they don't know what Trump says, or it's po- what Flynn, what Flynn says, said, yeah. or, po- or it's possible that Whitaker read in or maybe only partially read in or somehow they have gotten word that Trump that Flynn's uh, testimony doesn't really hurt Trump's case but they fail to understand something in these big conspiracy cases for one thing you don't have to prove in a conspiracy that everybody knew about everything that was going on that the person who's being charged was aware of all the pieces of the conspiracy they only have to know about their piece of the conspiracy that, you know, often uh-huh. you have conspiracies where people only know their own, you know, what they're doing. And if they are aware that it was illegal and that they do an illegal act, it doesn't matter. They're, part, they're charged with the conspiracy and the act itself, whether or not they knew about all the other people committing similar uh-huh. acts. So it's entirely possible that what Flynn knows is a, is a big and clearly very important piece of this conspiracy case it's very the reason i say it's very important is because Mueller could have thrown the book at him and you know he threw it at manafort Mm -hmm. and he didn't throw it at flynn and flynn has been cooperating and clearly gave him information that was very very useful and 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 his uh, Mueller's team essentially was begging the judge to not give him jail time uh, despite everything that he did so there seems like there must be some really really big and important piece of information that Flynn was willing to share. Since you mentioned Michael Cohn here, let's take a quick break. Um, I want to. Uh, we'll come back with Heather to talk about uh, Michael Cohn and his plea last week uh, regarding Trump's apparent campaign finance felonies and the Democrats' response to all of this. Um, are, are they getting it yet? Are they going to have the courage to do what needs to be done in the new year after they take over the majority there? We'll uh, we'll talk about that. Sit tight, Heather. We'll be back with Heather Digby Parton right here on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. Hey, this is Brad. Do you enjoy your non-corporatized, commercial-free Bradcast? Yeah, me too. But we need your help to stay that way. Please consider supporting the investigative blogging, broadcasting, and muckraking that we do here on the Bradcast and the Green News Report and bradblog.com with a donation. It's easy. Stop by bradblog.com donate and drop a few dollars in the tip jar. You can make a one-time contribution or an automatic monthly donation of any amount you like. It's easy. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you'll help me and Desi stay on the air to continue our troublemaking and muckraking without the corporate influence of anyone. Got it? Thanks. Stop by bradblog.com donate to help us out today. Welcome back. It's the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman speaking with Heather Digby Parton of Salon.com and of Digby's Hullabaloo. Heather, let's talk about, uh, we got just a few minutes here. Let's talk about last week's 
last week's enormous story. Uh, that was the campaign finance violations with uh, Michael Cohen saying that uh, Trump directed hush money payoffs just before the election to Stormy Daniels and Karen McDougal. Uh, you follow the wing nuttery, I think, closer than me. And thank you for your <laughs> service there, Heather. Um are, are the folks on the right yet understanding the seriousness of that charge, at least? It has nothing to do with Russia or Robert Mueller, so they can't dismiss it as a witch hunt, can they? Or, or can they? Absolutely not. They are completely dismissive of that. They're saying that, you know, first of all, you know, in, in a way it's not surprising. They do not take campaign finance you know, issues seriously, mm -hmm. right? I mean, they are all about just you can spend whatever you want, take corporate money, do whatever, you know. So I don't know. Yeah. They were pretty rough on Al Gore. Uh, he always oh, well, taking, taking money yeah. from well, that's, China uh, or whatever. The Buddhist nuns, right? The Buddhist right? nuns, you that's know? what it yeah. was, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. well, that's different. You know, whatever whatever it takes, by any means necessary, I is their see. freedom. Yes. Um, but in terms of their own behavior, this is not something that they consider to be a big deal. Now, what m you may find surprising is the fact that they also don't consider it a big deal that the President of the United States was committing these campaign finance violations to cover up for his affairs with, you know, porn stars and Playboy Playmates. Oh, yeah, they used to care about that. While his wife was pregnant. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, they don't care about that either. So that's kind of interesting, especially since we now know from recent uh, reevaluations of the, mm -hmm. uh, or, or, you know, studies of the 2018 exit polls, that Trump's true base, and the mainly his only base, is in the, even, the conservative evangelical community, mm -hmm. the, the white working class, the, you know, those people that supposedly loved him. Well, if they aren't evangelicals, they're falling away, too. They're not so happy no. with him. It's purely the white conservative evangelical community that loves Donald Trump. So this level of hypocrisy goes to such, <laughs> such an amazing height at this point that I think we can safely just say forget hypocrisy I, it doesn't really exist. I, I, um, I know and it see and and that is kind of what makes all of this seem so unreal. It seems it like does. it is so bad and so insane on virtually every level that I it, it feels to me like uh, the mainstream, the corporate media can't really wrap their heads around what is going on and how outrageous all of this is. And frankly, Heather, I'm not sure if Democrats, uh, are taking these charges as seriously as they should either. Again, uh, just take out Mueller and Russia, you know, just focusing on these campaign violations, paying off of porn stars with affairs. Um, right after uh, Michael Cohn's sentencing, I think it was a week or so ago, uh, Congressman Jerry Nadler, who will be the chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, where impeachment proceedings would begin. Remember, these are federal felonies, and Cohen and the National Enquirer and the federal prosecutors have all said this was a, uh, a, a conspiracy to violate campaign finance laws directed by Donald Trump. So Nadler was on CNN with our good friend Jake Tapper, uh, a week or so ago, right after Michael Cohn's uh, sentencing hearing. And I want to get your thoughts on this um, because, well, I, I don't know what to make of this. Let me let me play this exchange, Heather, and I'll get your thoughts on it. If it is proven that the president directed or coordinated with Cohen to commit these felonies, if it's proven, is are those impeachable offenses? Well, they would be impeachable offenses. Uh, whether they are important enough to justify an impeachment is a different question, but certainly they'd be impeachable offenses because 
even though they were committed before the president became president, uh, they were committed in, 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 in the service of fraudulently obtaining the office. Uh, that, would be the, the, uh, that would be an impeachable offense. Can you explain what you mean when you differentiate between maybe these are, if it's proven, it's impeachable offenses, but that does not necessarily mean that the offenses themselves are important enough to actually begin proceedings of impeachment. There seems to be a, a difference there in your view. Why? It's not necessarily a difference, but it's simply two different considerations. Uh, you don't necessarily launch an impeachment against the president because he committed an impeachable offense. Uh, there are several things you have to look at. One, were there impeachable offenses committed? How many, et cetera? And secondly, how important were they? Do they rise to the gravity where you should undertake an impeachment? An impeachment is, is an attempt to, to, in effect, overturn or change the result of the last election. You should do it only for very serious situations. So that's always the question. But you just said that the president seems to be in the middle, uh, or seems to have, have been in the middle of a massive fraud against the American people. That doesn't sound like somebody who thinks that these alleged crimes don't rise to the level of needing oh, I impeachment. I, I didn't say they don't rise. I said we have to uh, get to the bottom of all of this. Huh. Okay. So uh, he committed impeachable offenses, but they might not be important enough or there might not be enough of them to begin impeachment proceedings. That was uh, Congressman Jerry Nadler from New York, uh, the incoming chairman of the House Judiciary Committee uh, with uh, Jake Tapper on CNN a week or so ago. Uh, Heather Digby Parton, that position that Trump committed an impeachable offense, but it might not warrant impeachment, that seems incoherent to me. <laughs> are, are, are we headed, uh, I want your thoughts on that, and, and whether we're you know, sort of headed to the same situation that we saw, as I'm sure you remember, back in 2006 with George W. Bush, when Democrats um, uh, took the majority, but they didn't want to impeach because they were, I don't know, sort of uh, sort of tricked themselves into believing that it would sort of hurt their White House chances. Is that where we are headed after uh, after the new year, once the Democrats take over the majority in the House? I don't think so. I don't think I don't think it's the same situation. And I agree with you that Nadler's I mean, I get what he's trying to say there, that, you know, that you don't want to impeach somebody over minor infractions. And he's probably looking back at the Clinton impeachment, which was impeachment over minor infractions. And, they, and they're sort of afraid of getting, getting into something where it's something like that. But, well, this, I mean, minor, I have, this minor infraction, let me just clarify, uh, was, you know, meant to affect the presidential election right, that Trump won that by a few dozen votes in three states. Yeah, so, that makes it completely different yeah. than the Clinton situation. And I agree with you on that. It is, it's, in fact, it's, it, it, it is part and parcel of an entire election campaign <laughs> from coming from a dozen different directions, mm -hmm. we know that now. In which, and we may find out very clearly that the Trump campaign was was conspiring with Russian, you know, government agents to actually take the election. Doing things like this is just part and parcel of the fraudulent, you know, confidence game that the Trump, you know, that the Trump campaign was playing. I mean, it's obvious that he was illegitimately. Um, conducting that campaign on a number of different levels. So, I, you know, I agree with you on that. And I have a suspicion, just to answer your question, mm -hmm. no, I don't think the Democrats are going to treat it like 2006. I think this is a completely different situation. And I think they understand it. This is really, really... I mean, that the invasion of Iraq was about as serious as it gets, but right. it was not outside 
the boundaries of what we have seen in American politics mm. wrongly. I agree with you, mm. and I'm not I'm not defending it in any way. But I am saying that you know that that the that an issue like that of war and peace mm-hmm. and the way that America has conducted its foreign policy over many 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 decades has seen that sort of thing. It would have been it would have been a different situ- situation, and uh, you know I'm not mm-hmm. saying that they shouldn't have done it, but right. I'm just saying it, it's very different than this, which is an, in effect we have a criminal um, conspiracy potentially and likely in my mind with uh, with foreign actors and perhaps not just the russians i mean it looks like the middle east was involved in this as well uh to install a president <laughs> into, the, into the white house so my suspicion would be that impeachment is probably going to come come up I, I think that they're going to probably spend a little time setting it up with a number of different of inve- different investigations and it could and it could be from you know anything i mean look at what the what the administration the executive branch has done just since trump's been in office the immense amount of graft and corruption that we've seen among all of these agencies is mind-boggling we've never seen anything like this before from tom price to ryan zinke i mean look at the resignations the mm-hmm. uh, you know the, i mean it's 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 beyond imagining how corrupt the actual White House in its daily running is, and so they're going to be looking at that. They're going to be looking at obviously at the Russia investigation, at the campaign finance stuff, and they're going to be looking at all these things we mentioned earlier with the inauguration, mm-hmm. the foundation, and everything. Once that is all sort of put on the table, see, we haven't had any public hearings. Virtually, the only one we had Jim Comey come in at one point, and then we had you know that ridiculous sideshow with the uh, FBI agent Peter Strzok. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's been nothing public, so they kind of have to lay this out, and hopefully they will do it intelligently in coordination between Nadler, Schiff, uh, Pelosi, some other you know decent sort of strateg- legal strategist in this way to lay out a case. And they have to do that through public hearings and investigations, at which point I think impeachment hearings are, are inevitable. I just I can't imagine. And I think that that well, Cohen part of it will be part of that and, at that point. Yeah, and 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 that's and I, I've got just a, a, a minute here, uh, Heather. But uh, I mean, I guess my question, is, you know, here is: Should Trump be impeached if it is found in no uncertain terms? And frankly, I think it already has been yeah, that too. he there. <laughs> committed a criminal felony just alone in this hush money payoff to Stormy Daniels and Karen McDougal to keep them from hurting his election chances. And, you know, arguably that made the difference and made him president. And I guess the question is, should he be impeached by the Democrats if that is proven to be the case? And uh, even if, you know, they look at it and say, well, we can't possibly get uh, whatever it is, 67 votes that That we will need in the Senate. Should they move forward anyway? And you'll be able to revise and uh, retract your comment after the first of the year, because I suspect (laughs) we're going to talk about this a bit. But uh, uh, then, but yeah, you think so? Yes, absolutely. Look, there's no guarantee, uh, you know, I I think it's highly unlikely that the Republican Senate would would vote, you know, two-thirds of it would vote Mm -hmm. to impeach but that doesn't matter. This has to be on the table. And if we go into an election in 2020, the full case has to be laid out about what has happened with this person. And, by the way, what has happened with the Republican Senate? If they refuse to deal with what we see with, this, with these investigations, with the proof, with the, with the you know, total case as it's been laid out, if they still stand behind this guy 
they need to, you know, the public needs to see that, too. Mm. So if they decide to, to, you know, not convict in an impeachment in which all the stuff that we have just been talking about right. here has been laid out in a case, and it is there for the American people to see, the American people will see exactly what the Republican Party is about. And, you know, if, if they do their duty, good for them. And they get rid of Trump, and we move on to whatever next horror show they put out there. But in the meantime, this thing has got to be done. And, and you know, I don't know that they'll do impeachment. I think that they will. But I know that all of this, all of this oversight for the next two years, they have to pursue it, and they have to pursue it ruthlessly, because this this is, well, I mean, you know, the future of our country is at stake. This is this is the most serious political crisis I think we've ever had. And, you know, and I'm not talking about wars or anything like that. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about a rank political crisis yep. that we are in. And um, this is, you know, if, if they don't take the bull by the horns and do what they have to do, it's a lot, to, it's a big burden to put on their shoulders. But it's just, it's their duty. They have to do it. And, and if the American people are the ones who decide in 2020, so be it. Heather Digby Parton, uh, known and beloved across the internets as simply Digby. You can find her work at digbysblog.blogspot.com, of course at salon.com, and on the Twitters at Digby56. Heather, I hope you have a a delightful holiday, and I will uh, buckle up for whatever comes in the new year. I will look (laughs) forward to talking to you then. Thanks so much for having me. Happy holidays, you guys. Thank you. Okay, and thank all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. we got to get out here. Uh, if you missed any portion of today's show or any other, download it anytime for free at bradblog.com or at your favorite podcast site. It should be there. If it's not, let them know. Uh, you can also uh, tweet me anytime you like, tweet or Facebook. You can find me at the Brad Blog. You can also find me... On You can also email me. There we go. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. Boy, I'm confused, Desi Doyen. What's happened to me? <laughs> Do you think I need a break for the holidays? You're on Trump brain, and you need a break. I am. I do need a break. That's our producer, Desi Doyen. Thank you very much, Des. And, of course, to my guest today, Heather Digby-Parton of Salon and Hullabaloo. My largest thanks of all go to those of you who stop by bradblog.com donate to make it possible for us to do what we try to do every day over your public airwaves. We are not supported by uh, corporations or political parties or foundations. We are supported only by you. At least those of you who stop by bradblog.com slash donate to help us continue. We really do need your help. Thank you. All right, that's it. Until we meet again, I am Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. (laughs) 